listening to Solace Radio on the Meander Radio Network. Well, it's a new year. We finished 1 John uh, last uh, time. Uh, Today, now, we're kind of back to normal. We'll be having our Torah study this afternoon. We're going to talk about Joseph. And uh, there's a lot of things to say um, uh, about the Joseph story, and certainly this week in particular. The evolution of Judah and Joseph is fascinating in, in the story. But not only that, also how it serves as a paradigm for the history of the Jewish people, that, that whole section. But anyway, uh, so now today I thought we'd start something new. And I'm not quite sure uh, how uh, long this is going to take, whether, because it could take a really long time. And that, 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 that could, when I say that, that, that's a scary, a downright scary thought, all right? So I thought, uh, you know, in 1 John, he kept talking about uh, the beginning, right? What you've heard from the beginning, what you knew from the beginning, the commandments that you heard at the beginning. So I thought we'd talk about the beginning, right? So we're going to take a look at Breshit, uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, and that's why I say, I don't know exactly... Uh, you know, how long this will take. And, and, and even if we're going to go verse by verse, we may go narrative by narrative, depending on what it is. Uh, uh, but I, uh, I've been thinking over all the years, I don't think that uh, we've ever gone through uh, Genesis. We do in our Torah study. So it's, I, you know, I have to think about that. Like, okay, that's the Torah study, but not the, the service. And then uh, now on uh, Tuesday nights and Wednesday mornings, we're basically kind of walking through uh, Breshit, Genesis. So I thought, well, let's, uh, let's begin and we'll see where we, where we go. So we're all familiar with the book of Genesis. It's probably at least one of several books that everybody knows where it is in the Bible, right? Like you don't have to go to the table of contents, you know, for, uh, for Breshit, uh, for, for Genesis. It is the first book of the Bible, and I will just say off the bat, you know, we uh, believe very strongly uh, that it is the God-breathed Word, and uh, that uh, Moses uh, is the one who transmitted it uh, to us. Moses was not present for uh, anything in uh, Genesis, in that first book of the Bible, and so uh, he received it. Uh, via uh, oral uh, tradition uh, in one way or another. Uh, uh, but it's important that we understand, we see that as, a, as one whole book, and that's how we're going to uh, look at it. Okay, The name of the book, we like to call it Genesis, uh, uh, really is a Latin, comes from a, uh, you know, a, uh, a Latin derived from Greek, from the Septuagint, uh, but the name of the book, uh, like like the other books uh, in the Torah, uh, come from well, except for is always an exception. At least for the first four books of the Bible, the name of the book is found at the beginning of the book somewhere, right? And it's interesting because the names are not thematic, although you can make a case for that at, uh, in the first book, in Breshit. But they're not thematic, right? I mean, when you think about the Hebrew name of the second book of the Bible, right? 
Uh, does anybody know the name of the second book of the Bible in Hebrew? Shemot, right? And what does it mean? Names, right? It means names. Exodus, uh, of course, you know, is the Latin term, right? And, uh, and of course, that's more thematic, the Exodus going out of Egypt, right? But names, why is it called names? Because you read at the beginning of the book, the word Shemot, names, right? And then, of course, uh, Leviticus is probably the most, uh, the most interesting of all in this regard. What is the name of Leviticus? Anyone know? Vayikra is, is the name. Vayikra. And what does that mean? And he called. <laughs> and he called. Because that's what the beginning of the book says. And he called. Uh, and so that's uh, you know, a kind of uh, interesting. And, and then, of course, Bamidbar. What is, Bamidbar is the name of what book? Numbers, right? So it's not called numbers, right? Uh, the uh, the accountant's uh, a favorite book, I suppose. Numbers, right? But uh, but no, uh, Bamidbar, which means in the wilderness, in the wilderness. So kind of interesting. Now I have to say, of course, Deuteronomy. What is the Hebrew name of Deuteronomy? Devarim. But that's not in the beginning of the book. Isn't that interesting? That's not in the beginning of the book. And it's called Devarim, uh, uh, coming from a verse that talks about copying the text. You know, write it out, and the, the, uh, the message to the kings about writing out the text. It's, it's kind of interesting, Devarim. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, all right, well, so uh, a Genesis, uh, Breshit, uh, is, uh, this, uh, is this first book. Before we talk about the, uh, the meaning of that word, because the word is very important in the first verse. Uh, but before we get to the first verse, we want to understand a little bit about what the book is about, right? And uh, like any other book of the Bible, we always want to ask a question, uh, you know, what was the occasion of writing it? Why was it written? Isn't that interesting? That is a question we don't often ask about, about, uh, about Genesis or the, the, the Torah itself. Right? Uh, why was it? Uh, why was it written? This is very important because this has a lot to do with how we will understand uh, certainly the first chapter uh, and the second chapter, and for that matter, the first eleven chapters uh, of, of it. Okay, so uh, Genesis, this book, uh, Breshit, uh, is uh, I would suggest written to the Jewish people. I, I, as they were on the plains of Moab at the end of uh, Moses' life, they needed to understand their, uh, you know, who is uh, this God uh, who brought them out of Egypt and who gave them these laws. They needed to understand who he was and, and what their calling was. And uh, in a way, what was their reason for going into this land and conquering it and removing all the people that were there uh, and taking possession of it. And Genesis, Breshit, helps us in understanding all of that. And we'll understand that as the book unfolds. Uh, so it helps us to uh, give an introduction to, uh, for, for Israel when, when uh, they were on the plains of Moab to understand their history, right? Remember... 
that the people that were uh, in the wilderness and the people that were going to enter the land were far removed from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by hundreds of years and by a 400-plus year slavery that really separated them even from uh, uh, you know, their, their previous history of the patriarchs. So it's very important that they understood, of course, when they came out of Egypt, it was really the beginning of their understanding, the beginning of their uh, being taught by Moses. Uh, uh, but they needed, quote-unquote, we might say, the backstory, how they got to where they were and why they were, why they were a people, where they come from, you know, who their significant ancestors are, and who is this God of Israel, and how is he different from all of the other gods that people were, uh, were worshiping. You know, the Jewish people in that day were not, um, uh, didn't drop out of heaven, right? They lived in a world with a worldview that people had in that day. Uh, and, uh, and so their whole time of being redeemed out of Egypt and that whole period of getting to the promised land was a time of education, of learning, of understanding who they were, their uniqueness, their significance, and, uh, and so on. Okay, so that's one way of understanding Genesis. Another way uh, that's related to that is, it, as a text, how does this beginning book relate to the other books? And in that case, in that sense, also we could say, how does this book relate to the rest of the Bible? Because there must be something significant about it being the first book of this large corpus of writing, okay? So that's also very important. So when you read the book of Genesis, and, uh, you know, we're real big on sitting down in maybe a couple of sittings and reading the whole thing, and then also, uh, you know, breaking it down in small pieces, is to read it in light of how it relates to everything else. How does it relate to Moses? How does it relate to Sinai? Uh, not only that, to the rest of the history of Israel, to the monarchy, to the, to the kingdom, to the exile, uh, uh, to the practical wisdom literature, to the gospels, uh, to the letters, uh, to the rest of the Brit Hadashah. How does Genesis relate uh, 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 to, to it? So that's also very, very important. So just like in uh, Psalms, that's a good illustration. You know, Psalm 1 is a very important psalm in relationship uh, to the other 149 psalms. It plays a significant role. So does, uh, so does the entire book of Breshit, the entire book of Genesis. Okay? Then, of course, when you narrow it down, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you could, Genesis is a book that could be divided up all kinds of ways. There's lots of ways of dividing up the book. Uh, and one of the things uh, that we always want to remember is we don't want to break fellowship over the literary structure of the book of Genesis, okay? So, uh, you know, one way is to divide it up into two parts, right? Chapters 1 to 11 and 12 to 50, right? Where you have uh, from the beginning to Abraham, and then the rest of it is the story of Abraham's family, right? Or it can also be divided up via genealogies, 
That's also very interesting. The genealogies are very interesting. In fact, a lot of the narratives are encased inside of genealogies. Uh, so that's also uh, very interesting because uh, the genealogies play a very important role about being fruitful and multiplying and how that plays out and what happens to people uh, you know, in the various uh, narratives. So uh, that also is, is um, uh, very important. So what I would say, though, that we could say a, uh, if we wanted to really narrow it down, drill down on it, uh, that the purpose of Genesis is to provide an introduction to the Torah and the rest of the Bible, right? An introduction to the Torah and the rest of the Bible. I also to explain, I guess under that, to explain the desire of God to bless mankind and the rebellion of man and the promise of restoration, right? Then, of course, we also read about the formation of the family of Abraham through whom the promise of blessing would come to fruition. And then also a history of how the Jewish people ended up in Egypt. It's very important. Very, all of them are very, very important to understand. Okay? Now... <clears throat> So when we go to the beginning of the book, when we go to the beginning of the book, we have probably uh, the, uh, I should say this also, I suppose. The first 11 chapters, the purpose of the first 11 chapters is not, uh, this is a good way to say it, right, negatively. The purpose is not to simply tell us about how the earth came to be, Okay. No, it, it, is, it serves as the backdrop to the calling of Abraham. It, uh, it tells us about why God called Abraham and about the calling of Abraham and his family and what that calling is supposed to entail. And so if, if we just started in chapter 12, we would not know why. Why is Abraham called out? What, why is there a chosen people? Why is there a need for this? So the first 11 chapters serves as like an introduction to the rest of the book. Let me read to you a, uh, a quote. I didn't do this math myself, but you'll know what I mean when I read this. In its entirety, the book claims to cover a span of 2,309 years, a figure that is computed from the data found in the narratives and the genealogies in the traditional Hebrew text. It offers a rapid sketch of 1,948 years of universal human history, from Adam to the birth of Abraham, with the remaining 361 years to the death of Joseph, comprising the bulk of the work. To put it otherwise, nearly 80% of the contents of Genesis is devoted to about 17% of the time span that is covered. That's very important. It tells us something about the priorities of the book. The priority of the book is not chapters 1 to 11. That serves as an introduction. The priority of the book, what we're supposed to get out of the book, is how God, yes, interacts with human beings, but specifically Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and sons. And what's interesting is, even if you uh, look at chapters 12 to 50, okay, uh, verses 12 uh, to 50 is, uh, let's see, uh, is that 39 chapters? What is that? How many, oh, how many chapters is that? 38. <laughs> Story of my life. Okay, 38 chapters, okay? 
Uh, now, what's interesting, uh, you're, you're saying no. It's not no. Okay, I don't know. Whatever it is, okay? It's great. All right. Uh, but what's interesting is that the life of Abraham and Isaac is relatively short in, the, in the, those narratives are relatively short in comparison to the entire story of Jacob. Because the Jacob story, think about this, the Jacob story begins, what, in chapter 27 in earnest there, okay? And what we call the Joseph story is not really the Joseph story. It's the story of Jacob's sons. If you look carefully in uh, chapter um, 37, in chapter 37, the introduction to the story of Joseph, as we like to call it, is, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. That's the beginning of the story. So isn't it interesting? The narrative, the 13 chapters of the Jacob story is not just, uh, of the Joseph story is not just about Joseph. It's about the 12 sons and what happens to them. Isn't that interesting? Yep, it is. And, uh, and so when you, when you look at chapters 1 to 11, covers almost 2,000 years. Okay? Uh, then chapters 12 to 27 covers... Maybe uh, another close to uh, 200 years, maybe? Something like that, okay? And then chapters 37 to uh, uh, the end of the book is a number of decades. So it really, it slows down as the book evolves. As it goes on, it slows down. And then that slowing down, it's telling us something. That this is about those sons, that there's a lot of emphasis on the 12 sons, certainly emphasis on Abraham, most definitely, and the whole Abraham story, you know, Sarah and the birth of Isaac and Ishmael and all of it. Uh, the Jacob story is, isn't even really even a story. It's like Jacob's, uh, not Jacob, Isaac, Isaac's story kind of overlaps with Abraham on one end and overlaps with Jacob on the other end. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that's rather, you know, it's all rather, uh, rather interesting. There's something else that happens uh, if you, in the big span of this book that helps us to understand what's going on. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but uh, certainly in, uh, I'll say, uh, chapters... Well, all the way to the, to the Joseph story, without breaking it down any further. All the way from the beginning to Joseph's story, God is speaking. He's speaking. He's an active character in the story or a, one of the people, you know, one of the voices in the story. But not from chapter 37 to the end of the, to the, end of the book. At the beginning of uh, the, the uh, Joseph story, you don't even read about God. But it's, it's when Joseph is in Egypt and uh, being accused, you know, of uh, having a relations with Potiphar's wife that Joseph invokes the name of God. But nowhere in the book does, do you read, thus saith the Lord. I mean, in the, uh, the chapters 37 to 50. That's also interesting, okay? 
very interesting. Why is it interesting? Well, we'll see. Okay. Uh, that comes out a little bit in our Torah study even uh, today, since we're in, in the midst of, of that. So uh, one of the things that, so there's a lot of things to notice in, in, uh, in this book. But uh, for our purposes of introduction, uh, when we talk about the purpose of the book, uh, it's, it's about the, uh, the way God interacts with humanity and specifically uh, the, the chosen people, the Jewish people. The calling out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the sons of Jacob. Uh, and, uh, and, and it serves, in a way, as a paradigm of how God will interact with, with the Jewish people as history unfolds. So, rather interesting. Okay, uh, so, because conventional wisdom is, is that when you think about uh, Genesis, it's just simply the book of beginnings, uh, as if it's like uh, as if it's like in a, uh, a dictionary, you know, uh, and it's just like the beginning of understanding about atonement, the beginning of understanding about God's love, the beginning of understand. Well, all that may be true, but what the book is about uh, is about the calling out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how God interacts with them. So, in learning about how God interacts with them, we learn about the nature and the character of God. But uh, very important that the calling out of Israel and, the, and the, the purpose of the Jewish people is primary to understanding everything else in the Bible. That's why Genesis is so, uh, is so important. So important. And that's why it's only the first 11 chapters. Uh, outside of those first 11 chapters, it's all about the journey of Israel, the story of, uh, of the Jewish people. Uh, interesting, uh, uh, another quote here. Um, let's see. Uh, Genesis 1 to 11, about Genesis 1 to 11, is not an answer to the question of how the world began. We're going to get to that in a second when we talk about the word Breshi. It is rather an answer to the question of the meaning of Israel's history. That is a great statement, okay? Uh, and it was written by nobody that you, any of you ever heard of. It, like, no, not, not like by uh, some messianic. Uh, a uh, scholar, you know, that has, uh, uh, you know, a mission to correct uh, wrong teaching in the church or something like that. And his name was Ludwig, Ludwig Kohler. I'm sure you never heard of him. He was a theologian from another era. Okay? So he says, Genesis 1 to 11 is not an answer to the question of how the world began. It is rather an answer to the question of the meaning of Israel's history. Along the same lines, Franz Dielich, have any of you ever heard of him, Franz Dielich? Okay, so Franz Dielich is very famous because he co-authored a commentary called Kyle and Dielich, uh, which many of us in another generation already uh, cut our teeth on of uh, understanding the, the text. Uh, but the, something else about Franz Dielich is uh, he uh, was a Jewish believer in the Messiah. Uh, okay. So, along the same lines, Franz Dielich uh, argued that Genesis 1-11 does not intend to tell us that the world had a beginning. Rather, it intends to lay a foundation for the history of Israel that follows in Genesis 12 and following. Israel's history is grounded in the plans and purposes of the Creator. So, uh, it is uh, imperative that we understand that. So, if we're going to understand the calling of Israel, of which we talk about a lot, 
we're going to understand uh, what, what the purpose is of Israel's uh, long history, past, present, and future, we need this backstory to, uh, 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 to, to understand it. Okay? All right. So when we come now to the beginning of the book, you have perhaps the second most well-known passage in the Torah, right? The first is probably the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? And here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, right? Breshit bara Elohim et ha-shamayim haaretz and that's what that is in, in, uh, in Hebrew. And all those words are really important in, in Hebrew as well as in, uh, in its translation. So first, in the beginning, the beginning. The word beginning uh, is, it's not a bad, actually beginning is not uh, a bad word uh, to use here as, uh, the, uh, as the translation. The, um, the word is reshit. Bereshit is in the beginning. Okay? But the word is reshit. And it is used in the Bible. It's not a, you know, it's not a unique word just to the beginning here. But it is used to describe oftentimes when you read like in the history, in the, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Joshua judges, Samuel and Kings and that, that part. Uh, when you might read, especially in Kings, the beginning of the reign of a particular king would be this word, Reshit. And actually, in the beginning of a particular king would be Bereshit. Okay. It doesn't have... See, this, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's two ways of looking at this word. One is looking at it as what is the point of origin? Okay. Another way of looking at it is what is it the beginning of? Okay. The purpose of this word at the beginning here is, uh, I think in our common vernacular, a better word might be start. The start of everything. The beginning, meaning the, the point of it is not for us to figure out when, you know, where's the point of the beginning. Well, it may do that, but the purpose of the verse the purpose of the statement and the purpose, therefore, of the word is to tell us it all started. <laughs> it all started at a particular point. Okay? Uh, and so it's the beginning of a story that is anticipating an end. It's the beginning of a story or a, of a history that is anticipating an end. It's not written to tell us where is the beginning. It's written to tell us that there is a beginning, a beginning of all that has taken place. Now remember, this was written to uh, the Jewish people. And so what we have at the beginning of the book is, here's the beginning of the story. This is, you want to know where you come from? You want to know who your God is? Let me tell you from the beginning, okay? All right. And so we have this word. Now it's interesting that you have this word reishi. Because you have, in Hebrew, it's kind of poetic. You have another word called acherit, which is at the end, the beginning and the end. And it is interesting, uh, if, we were, if this was an MSI course, it would be interesting, to look at uh, several of the poetic passages in the Torah 
that are very uh, end-time oriented, eschatologically oriented. They talk about the end. And so it's kind of interesting. Especially at the end of Deuteronomy, it, talk about, it talks about the end. And so you have here the beginning, anticipating an end. Okay? Reshit acherit. Okay. So then it says, in the beginning, God. All right, God. Now this is fascinating. Because this tells us something very unique about Israelite history, Jewish history. You know, in other ancient uh, origin stories, you have a, a war of gods, a war between gods, and some god beats out all the other gods, and then there, uh, for for a variety of reasons, human beings uh, are created to serve, uh, you know, to serve these uh, these gods, whether it's a pantheon of gods or whether one god overtakes other gods. What all these, there's varieties of these stories, but what they all have in common is that there is a celestial world before the beginning that is articulated. Now, in the Bible, we do not have that. We do not have that. It's true, yes, uh, there are some statements that tell us that there is a celestial world or, and, and, uh, you know, and an angelic world uh, before creation. It tells us that it was there, but we don't read a narrative of it in relationship to how we got here. That is unique to the Jewish story of creation, the Israelite, the Jewish story of, uh, of the beginning. We read that uh, God is already here. There, the, uh, the, that God is, there's no story of where God comes from. Now remember that when you read this, uh, it's not uh, like the first readers of this never heard of a God. And so now this is their first interaction with knowing about God. No, remember who it's written to. It's written to people that knew about God. It's written to people that knew uh, that there's this God of Israel who is a redeemer, who's a deliverer, who uh, got us out of Egypt, who parted the waters of the Red Sea, who has sustained us all these years, uh, who has given us a way of life, uh, who has been faithful even though we have been unfaithful. So when we read about God here in 1-1, there now becomes this connection that the God who did all these things, this God of Israel, was in the beginning. And there was no other. In the beginning, God. So what our ancestors learned and what we learn is that there is now a, there's a connection between the God of the patriarchs, the God of Sinai, the and the God who made everything. Okay? This was a radical belief in the ancient world, that there is a God from the start of creation who made everything. Okay? Now, of course, as we look at uh, uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, we'll see how this all unfolded. But in verse 1, you have this great statement that in the beginning, there is God. And God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? Uh, and so the word created, it's another important word. 
uh, frankly, uh, we interpret it more than we define it, okay? The, the word just means that he, he created, he made things, okay? Uh, uh, out of nothing is not necessarily in the word itself, but we infer that, okay? Uh, and what's also interesting is that in the rest of chapter 1, until you get to the fish of the sea and human beings, he doesn't use that word again. But he does when he talks about fish of the sea and human beings. It's kind of interesting. Okay? Uh, but for our purposes here, in the beginning, God created. God created everything. The heavens and the earth, I, I, you know... Uh, th this is very important, actually, because of the, so oftentimes the way that we understand it. When you read the word Earth here, it's not like planet Earth, like the name of the planet, okay? Like he made, uh, you know, the, the universe, uh, all the galaxies, and then and he made this planet, okay? When it says heavens and Earth, literally, it's sky and land. If you just take it for just what those words mean. Sky and land, okay? So, it's called, and uh, if you've uh, taken uh, some MSI classes, you've heard this word. It's called a merism, which means like from A to Z, you know, from beginning to end, he made everything. That's what heavens and earth is, it means. As when, when the words are used separately, it can mean sky, you know, or uh, and, and the abode of God, uh, and uh, land here is Eretz, Haaretz, which is the word that is used uh, of, uh, we'll see, of dry land, of land, of where people live, okay? Uh, but when, it's, when they're used together, uh, heavens and earth, uh, it refers to everything. God made everything. So uh, at the start, God made everything. So then the question is uh, for us, what, uh, you know, what, does this, what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Well, first of all, what it means for us uh, is that God is the originator of everything, uh, is the originator of everything, everything. Uh, he is the sovereign of everything. He created the heavens and the earth, meaning that he is not a created being. That's the, the very first. He is not created. Uh, there are no other gods anywhere. There are no, no other uh, gods uh, that, uh, that he had to battle to get to this position. Okay? He is indeed uh, the sovereign uh, who made everything. Uh, and, and as we will learn, he set the order of everything. He is the originator of everything, the creator, the sovereign, the overseer of everything. Okay? And so if we are going to, uh, frankly, even understand ourselves as human beings, understand the purpose of humanity, uh, to understand the... Um, the purpose of uh, of this world, and you know, and on all of that, uh, we we begin with at the start in the beginning, God uh, God created the heavens and the earth. So this certainly told our ancestors uh, that 
uh, wow, the God of Israel is therefore more powerful than the gods of Egypt, the gods of Canaan, uh, uh, and, and all others. And that their God is the creator. He's the one who made everything, uh, and he is uh, the one who sustains everything. Now, there's something else. Uh, there's other, certainly other things uh, that we learn uh, here. Another thing that we learn here is that the world is heading in a particular direction. And that, that again, is, is very important when you go back to the word breshit, when you go back to this word. It's not, a, the, the, the point of that word is not to say, here's the point of beginning. It's that there is a beginning that infers a, a history, that there is a history. Uh, and it's interesting because in the Bible, where, uh, at the end of the book of Isaiah, and certainly in the book of Revelation, we read about, and it's no coincidence, we read about a new heaven and a new earth. Here you have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you read about uh, that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And we could say that in the big scheme of things, the uh, and, and as, as some have said, the phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, is kind of an eschatological statement. In other words, without even knowing about the, you know, about uh, sin and, and all of that, that God's goal here is he made a world. And it's sort of, that's it. He made a world. And uh, he made a universe, the sky, the land, and everything that's, and everything that's in it, right? But as the story unfolds, we see uh, that uh, uh, sin uh, is a monkey wrench in, uh, in this plan of what God made. The emphasis is not on the sin. The emphasis is on what God made. And the, the story of the Bible is getting back to what God made, to a, uh, to a new heaven, uh, to this God created the heavens and the earth, to the way God intended it to be. Okay? Okay. So, uh, so there's, there's that, that, that it's moving in a direction. What it means to us as individuals, without jumping ahead, of course, we, you know, uh, without uh, 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 talking yet about creation and everything, uh, I mean about the creation of human beings, is that second generation uh, there in the wilderness uh, understood, okay, that, that God, yes, he is all-powerful. There are no other gods. He made everything, right? And frankly, in, uh, the, at the end of Deuteronomy, they know that bad times are going to come, but then they get better after that, right? You read that certainly from chapter 29 to 33 in, uh, at, at the end. And of course, it infers uh, this uh, new heaven and new earth that you read, about, you read about later on. But to those people, in their relationship with God, it meant that he is indeed the, uh, their king, their lord, uh, the one with whom they have to do, the one to whom they are accountable to, this God of Israel. There is, uh, there is no one else. Uh, and there is, uh, uh, you know, no uh, no other being uh, that there that there is, right? And then finally, we would say that uh, this phrase in the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. When you look at, um, in the Brit Harasha, in uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And so, uh, certainly, uh, John 1.1 1, 1, uh, intentionally uh, uh, is reminding us of Genesis 1.1. Uh, 1. Uh, and, um, and that Yeshua... Uh, certainly is uh, the one who was in the beginning uh, with God. And notice it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And, uh, and so Yeshua is the one, not only is this telling us about the nature of, of Yeshua, that he is the incarnation of God, but it is telling us that, uh, you know, in the beginning, I, uh, the world was made in a certain way, in a spiritual way, and that Yeshua is the one who is returning us to the uh, be, re- returning us indeed to the beginning, to uh, you know, to now what will be referred to as a new heavens and new earth. And then in another place, in Colossians one. Uh, you have here, um, he is the image of the, inv- verse 15, you may be familiar with it. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and, uh, and for him. Right, And he is before all things and in him all things uh, hold uh, hold together. And so it tells us uh, that Yeshua is, of course, is the incarnation of God. He is, therefore, our, you know, as the Messianic King, He is the one who is the creator and the sustainer uh, of, uh, of this world, the one with whom we have to do. It also is a uh, comfort when you look out at the world, and the world is so chaotic uh, that uh, it helps us to understand the chaos. Because why is the world in uh, such a chaotic mess? Because of rebellion against the one who made everything. And of course, it takes a little bit more than the first verse for us to, to get that. But it's important for us to understand that, we, that uh, a cornerstone of understanding faith and trust in God uh, and uh, uh, what God is doing in the world and, and our own redemption and, uh, and our own future and the calling of Israel uh, and the hope of, of the future of this world is all bound up in that in the beginning, at the start of everything, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the start, we don't know it was before the start, but the Bible starts with, in, at, at the beginning, God made everything, okay? And then as, as this all unfolds, we will uh, see some of the ramifications of this. Uh, amazingly, is that God places himself in the story. He is not simply transcendent above everything. In other words, when we read that God created the heavens and the earth, it doesn't mean that he wound it up. He created it and he comes to visit it every Saturday like at the zoo or something. You know what I mean? Uh, 
Never mind. Okay. Uh, uh, but he has placed himself in it. Uh, and that is, uh, that is a profound truth. In the very same way that we would say that about Yeshua, you know, here is uh, the maker of heaven and earth, the creator from the beginning, incarnate, uh, incarnate as a human being, places himself within time-space history uh, to be at the mercy of, 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 of the creation in certain respects dur- during his life. But that, that was not the first time, that was not the beginning of that. At the beginning of the beginning that takes place. Here, God, who is the, the, uh, the creator of everything, the, the, the one and only, uh, the one and only eternal being, when he creates the world, he places himself within the story. And that is what we will see. You don't see that in the first verse, but we will see that. From the beginning of the creation of man, he places himself in the story. He makes promises that he, uh, that he must keep. He places this, this limitation on himself. He makes promises that he must keep. So we'll be learning uh, uh, all about that. But let us rejoice and know that the one in whom we have placed our faith and trust is the one who is the creator, that he does not depend on anyone or anything. Uh, 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 for his uh, being and for his will to ultimately come to pass, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Good. Okay, let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you that you are indeed the creator and the sustainer of this world. God, we thank you that you created this world and then as we will see, you prepared a place for mankind to live. Lord uh, God, I pray that as we uh, begin this uh, study of Breshid of Genesis, that we might uh, appreciate the significance that humanity has in the calling of humanity, and then as a and then as a uh, as a calling upon uh, Israel, and then as a calling upon all who call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, may we derive a, a great understanding and understand our calling and significance uh, in all of that. God, uh, you know, Lord, we don't know what this uh, year will bring. Already there's uh, tragedy, uh, you know, and uh, Lord, we know that there's high points and low points. But thank you, Lord, that we know that you indeed uh, began this work. And as we read, as Paul says about Yeshua, that that which he began, he will continue until the end. Lord, we do thank you that you are the creator and the sustainer. May we trust you, Lord, uh, for our own future, whatever that might be. We pray in Messiah's name. Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild. Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before.